It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Time for a fresh week of the Locked On Syracuse podcast. We welcome you back in on this Monday. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, and you'll get 20% off your next order. It's Tim Leonard, Tyler Rocky, the only place to get daily Syracuse podcasts out there. And Ty, we got to recap a Georgetown win. They they held on. It was kind of like the pit game, but they just sort of held on at the end. And, and Gerard and Beheim made some shots there down the stretch. Right. It felt very similar. And okay, maybe I'm feeling a little different because I did not watch this game live. I watched it on replay the morning after. But for you, as someone who watched it live, did you ever feel like there was a time when Syracuse was going to lose this game? Because just from watching it, and again, obviously I knew the result heading into when I watched it, but just from watching it, it never really felt like to me Syracuse was going to lose that game. I don't know if you felt differently. So, for a split second, I think it was the possession where they're up three, and they kind of desperately needed a bucket, maybe two thirty, three minutes left in the game, and Gerard just sort of dribbled out by the perimeter by himself for a while, milked down the clock, and then kicked it off his foot, and that was when it was like full-scale panic for me, just for that split Mm -hmm. second. But, to your point, I agree, it was very Pitt-esque. Honestly, I didn't even feel like they were going to lose the Pitt game until... Yeah, no, I would say I felt very similar (laughs) about the Pitt game, yeah. Right, Um, but yeah, like, it did feel like they were going to hold on the entire time, and that Braswell block into the Buddy 3 was kind of the first time where I was like, okay, we're fine, we're fine. Like, that was the charge, and we held it off. And then they came again... So, I mean, it was a little tighter than I would have envisioned, but I actually have, like, a good amount of positives from this game. And before we get into anything about the game, I should have led with this. The The intro should have been this, but Marek chipped a tooth in this game. Like, <laughs> I think he did a little more than chip a tooth. Yeah, he lost a tooth. He <laughs> caught a puck like, to whatever. the face. Did you yeah. see the Syracuse men's hockey? Again, it's a club team. It's not, like, the yeah. official hockey team. But they they put uh, an offer out to Marek, said the number 21's open if he wants it. I thought I that saw was that. Funny. That was good. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen that in any sort of, like, I guess hockey, but outside of that, it was weird. When the play first happened and Marek just ran off the court, I was like, huh, like, this is odd. I guess he's going back to the locker room. I hope he's okay. And Beheim was joking after the game in his press conference. He said, I told him, you just lost a tooth. Get back in there. Like, let's go. We need you <laughs> or something yeah, like not that. A limb. Which, but no, they, yeah. they really did. I, I think he's right. They did need him, especially because I believe it was leading into free throws too. So right. it, you needed him on the line to to get you aboard. But I, I think that picture in and of itself, oh, and I think awesome. he tweeted this, like that is the embodiment of his career. When you think of, I thought the, the Zion charge was going to be the embodiment of what his career, when he took the charge on Zion Williamson, and you see his heels pretty much above his waist while he's flying into the air. But no, it, it's the chipped tooth or knocked out tooth, however you want to call it. But that, that to me is the embodiment of what he has been and what he's meant as a Syracuse basketball player. What's the turnaround time on stuff? Like, is he going to have a, a full tooth for UNC tomorrow night? <laughs> I, just, I have no idea. I, I don't right. know. Because I'd imagine you probably need a day or two to, like, like if I'm a dentist or, or a, a dental surgeon, 
in this case. I'm probably not letting a guy get this procedure done and then go out and play a contact sport right away. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like may- they maybe could do I'm a thinking of this wrong. Something Mouth guard the... maybe is is the next play for him if he wants to actually have a contact sport, but I would guess it's probably still going to be knocked out for for the UNC game. It, you know, I kind of like that. It's almost more badass too. Yeah. Kind of g- g- gives everyone a little something to think about. Exactly. Well, we know, I know how the you girlfriend feel about might dentist. not like it, but uh, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I was I was going to bring up. We know how you feel about dentists. At least I do. I don't I don't think we have to share that with the the listeners. But you've got your <laughs> not own a theories fan. on that. Not a fan. And yeah. Anyway. No, I mean, the, I, I'm curious to see. I think that'll be a prop shop bet. Uh, we have to start off the prop shop. Yes. With what will mm-hmm. Marek's tooth be? That's just, I mean, that's designed for Hopefully no shop. information emerges between now and then. Yes, right. And I saw Joe was joking on Twitter about it. We got to get a shirt or something like that to all the Q's fans and the Marek quote tweeted. But anyway, love Marek. And I thought that was, as you said, the embodiment of his career really Kind of the story of this game for me and why I said that there's a good amount of positives is I did feel like they looked more under control on offense. And honestly, the takeaway is you finally get a game where Joe and Buddy just look like themselves and they carry you to a victory. Buddy, 21 points. Joe, 18 points. They go six for 10. The two of them combined from three. And in reality, it was kind of more like seven for 11 because Gerard hits that really big shot at the end of the game with the guy right in his face. And right. they reversed it to a two, which it, it did kind of feel like it didn't really matter, but it felt like kind of a bang yeah, bang. It was, it was yeah. I didn't it even kind of I didn't see enough there to reverse it. But anyway, it it didn't end up mattering except for it changes his three point stat sheet. Gerard from three for four or four for five to three for four in the end. But that that shot, as someone who obviously roots for Joe Gerard because I'm a Syracuse fan, and I know we joke about how sometimes. Some people seem to be picking sides on the Kadari Joe thing. And we'll get into the Kadari minutes and and what that all means and and how Beheim is handling that in a little bit. But when Joe hit that shot, that was more like the Joe that we were anticipating going into the year. I think even watching the replay back, he kind of mouthed something like ball game or something like that while the shot was in the air. And he just had that swagger that I felt like he was hyped up to have this year, so it was cool to see that. He's an emotional player, and I, you, you obviously know this pretty well from working with Devo a lot. Like the emotions of these guys is important, and we've seen a number of times where his head's kind of tucked in his jersey. This was not one of those games, and I think that is really important for building his confidence. But in terms of the whole Buddy and Joe collective on offense, the three point numbers, like you mentioned, were phenomenal. Six of ten, like you said. But I think to me, the important thing in this game and the reason why we saw Buddy Beheim go out there and put up 21 points, he was attacking the cup. He got to the free throw line uh, one time, and then also Joe Girard, he got to the stripe a couple times too. But both of those guys, they weren't just chucking threes the whole game. Buddy was 6 of 12 from inside the arc and had a couple of layups. He missed one too, but I like to see a guy like him attack. And Joe wasn't necessarily doing it at the rim, but he was finding like 18-footers or 16-footers that he could take advantage of. And that's what's going to make this team dangerous is if everyone is clicking on offense. Now, Alan Griffin wasn't great in this game, but when he was attacking, he was pretty good too. Three of three from inside the arc. He didn't have it from deep, but he found other ways to score. And that's one of the things that I've really liked about him this season. Griffin has to keep attacking. Beheim said that after the game as well. I will say this. seven from deep. And yeah, you got to attack. 
with Griffin that I'm starting to notice, and, and this is no secret. We obviously know that he has turned the ball over a, a hefty amount so far this season. The turnovers need to cut down. And I looked at the box score, and he only had one in this game. And I thought to myself, there's no way he only had one turnover in this <laughs> game. But here's the thing that he does. And it's not always his his goal, or it's just the end result sometimes. But he recoups a lot of plays where they should be turnovers, which is, I think, yeah. both a good and a bad thing. It's good in the fact that it means he's not quitting on plays, right? So you, you got to tip your hat there. But it's bad that you feel like some of this luck is probably going to go the other way and you're going to start to see some, you might see a game where he has seven or eight turnovers. Now, I don't know if Jim's going to leave him out there long enough to get to that threshold, but that's something that is definitely going to have to change in ACC play. The turnovers are really my biggest concern with him. Some people may point to some defensive mechanics with him, but to me it's the turnovers because that's a number that really needs to be chopped in half if this is going to be an efficient offense. I think what's true with him is, just the whole practice layoff is probably playing a factor as well. And honestly, I think I'll just speak for me personally. Like, I feel like I may have overlooked that a little bit in sort of analyzing the Pittsburgh game and what to make of the team. And even when you analyze this game, yes, they only win by five in this game, but I know what I saw on offense. I saw an offense that was getting into their sets more. I actually thought they ran some decent action in this game and got some good looks. And Honestly, their entire offense is geared around spreading out the floor, this year at least, spreading out the floor and getting looks for three-point shooters. And this is a true jump-shooting team in every sense of the word. And the problem is that they have missed 30 days of practice so far. Like, they've had three separate times where they have not been able to practice. Once with Bayheim and a positive test to him. Another time when Buddy was in the contact tracing, they were out of practice before what was whatever their second or third game and then another time here the past couple weeks where the the buffalo stuff happened and they had to be held out so they missed 30 practices that's about as much as any team in the country and it affects them more than most teams because what they're trying to accomplish on offense and when syracuse is at their best they're hitting threes i look at their total three-point numbers this year 32.9 percent as a team from three Buddy is still shooting under 30% from three. Gerard is up in the low 30s after this game. Griffin's 35%. Really, Quincy has been excellent. He's been 43%. But outside of that... He doesn't take a ton of them, too. Yeah, exactly. And outside of that, though, all those guys I mentioned, Griffin, Buddy, Joe, even Braswell, we're starting to see make some shots here. And we'll get into him. Those three-point numbers have to go up. So that's a positive here that... Where they are is not great. I mean, I I don't think they've done enough to really catapult them to any different tier than what we envisioned them to be at the start of the season. And the general consensus is still they haven't played anyone. Like, nationally, they would tell you that they aren't quite anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And and they've only had one chance, really. It was Rutgers. Right. And Mm -hmm. they had two starters down in that game. And it was on the road and tough game. And they almost won and didn't. It didn't go their way. But I would agree that... Like, this, there were some positives in this game, and when I just look at this offense, I feel like things look crisp offensively. It's just they're not hitting shots at the rate that I know they can, and that has to, if anything, go up. The thing, too, is, and yes, I think they were much better in a much better offensive flow, and, and the layoffs, I, I think you're right. You and I need to take that into account a little bit more when we look at some of the games, like the pick game, obviously the Bryant game right out of the gate, but... There is still some suspect shot selection, too. 
Like mm-hmm. I saw it out of Griffin a number of times on some threes. We see it from time to time. I saw, I saw it from time to time with Joe and Buddy in that game. Marek, I think, even had one or two where I was like, eh, what are you doing there? Uh, Quincy had some threes that I didn't love. But, the, yeah, no, I, I think that the, the flow was definitely better, but there's still problems with the shot selection. And that's something that is going to need to be addressed because I know that they're playing at a much faster pace and you are getting more possessions, but you need to maximize some of these possessions because you need to start putting away some of these teams like you did with Boston College. And I know you had a little more wind in your sails because you had more practice time. Maybe it felt a little more cohesive at that point, but this is a team that needs to start putting away teams. And we didn't see it with Pitt, and it obviously came to bite them. We didn't see in in this game. They had control of each of the last two games by hefty double figures. Like games that you should close out and win with conviction. I still would err on the side of this was a win with conviction, but it's also one of those things where you would like to see the box score say double digits. Quick pause in the action to tell you guys about a great way to get some free money to bet on sports gambling right now. Who wouldn't want free money to put down on some of these NFL games and some of the sports games going on right now? Well, If you go to betonline.ag, a proud sponsor of this podcast, you can sign up for a free account today and use our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. That could be some serious savings. Say you put down $300 in your account once you set up that free account, you get $150 on top of that for free from our friends at betonline.ag just by using that promo code LOCKEDON, NFL Games, all this week or this weekend coming up, you got the college football national title. If you're listening to this on Monday night, you can go right now and place your bet for that, whether it is Alabama or Ohio State, whoever you like in that matchup. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action, and don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit at betonline.ag. NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. The other thing about this game I just totally disagreed with what Georgetown was trying to do from a game plan perspective. Like, the way that Patrick Ewing coached the game, I found very puzzling. I did like that he went to the press a little bit in the second half, and that's what got them back in it. And it did help them in a number of ways. One, it got them opportunities to score without the zone being set, and they were able to sort of beat the zone down the court. The other thing was... Syracuse basically played six guys in this game, and you could tell that the press was tiring them out even more in the late stages because it just requires you to run up and down the court a lot more, and there were some possessions there where it was very frenetic, which I think favored Georgetown once it got to the second half, but we talked a lot about Wahab in the preview podcast. It comes out right out of the gate. Wahab gets two easy dunks. They're going high to low from the high post. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be a problem. This is how I envisioned Georgetown beating Syracuse. I figured they would try to go to this. And then they just couldn't get the ball to Wahab when he was in the game. He ends up only playing 20 minutes. He just gets one rebound in this game. I I understand sort of why Patrick Ewing went away from him because you could tell that he was having trouble guarding Syracuse in the pick and roll. 
And also, they just didn't want to have him on Marek, given that Marek's such a different player, and they try to space it out offensively and go five out, and that would expose Wahab. But the blueprint is out there on how to beat Syracuse, and I didn't feel like Patrick Ewing really executed or leaned into that enough. He tried to do it with Pickett at times, but Pickett's a, a little different of a player. But I'm right with you. I mean, Wahab was dominating that game in the first two, four minutes of that contest, and I mean, if you told me that he was going to end this game with just one rebound and really not be in desperation levels of foul trouble, he had three, but that's not to the point where you dock his minutes to just 20 for the entire game. I'm with you. I was very surprised. And like, surprise, surprise, Patrick Ewing botched a game. I mean, like, that's just kind of been the the telltale (laughs) motto and mantra of his coaching career so far. So... I'm with you. I was I was absolutely floored that Wahab wasn't out there and posting a double double. He didn't bring it anything from the rebounding side and scoring. He pretty much went away after what the first five seven possessions. And if you're Syracuse, you'll take that. Yeah, and then they had this guy, a seven footer, Iguefe. He didn't play from the bench. Now I I you kind of have to wonder in these day and times if that was a COVID thing, or, you know, maybe he was just ruled out of the game, like kind of how Frank Antlum has been these past couple of games. Who knows? But I thought it was odd that he didn't play. I Georgetown just struck me as a very, like, not well-coached team. And they kind of coughed up some opportunities there that a better team maybe would have made that game really tight at times, where Georgetown had some very... I don't really only finished with 12 turnovers, but I watched the whole game twice, basically. And it felt like they had 15 or 16 turnovers. It felt like they really were shooting themselves in the foot a couple times with just some sloppy passes. And I also credit Syracuse because I did think the zone held up a lot better. And the rebounding from Syracuse was excellent. Whether they played Wahab or not, they didn't really lean into it, but they win the rebounding 38-32 to in this game, which is a huge positive. And I think part of the reason why it may have felt like Georgetown had more turnovers was really because Syracuse cashed in on those opportunities as well. You look at the the numbers there, 12 turnovers for Georgetown, but Syracuse turned that into 14 points. So when you're cashing in on the turnovers like that, it kind of magnifies your, your mistakes that you're making out there on the floor as well. All right, let's get into Robert Braswell. We had a couple people tweeted us at Lucas Satchel said, unleash the Braswell. Good for him playing hard and really making a difference in a critical spot of the game and I put out a little video yesterday on our Twitter page at LO underscore Syracuse on just a rotation that stood out to me from watching the game back where he's kind of hanging out by the perimeter and then just darts inside sort of near the free throw line area actually when they're trying to get it to Wahab and makes a nice steal he ends up with three steals in this game he has that great block he does hit one three And he looks like kind of a lot like Woody Newton. And when he came in in the early games where there's just not a lot of fear in him right now, but more than anything, he's just giving you a lot on defense and playing very smart defensively. The three steals make things really interesting with this team, because when I look at what Robert Braswell is bringing out there, and Jim is very complimentary of what he has brought to the table defensively too. And we've seen this with Braswell. I mean, I always think back to that NC State game from a couple of years ago where he really burst onto the scene and made his presence known and almost led Syracuse to a comeback victory in that one. But I think about Braswell, and I think about this almost from the macro level of what is this rotation going to look like moving forward? If all of a sudden he's doing stuff to earn minutes, does that phase Woody out? I mean, we saw essentially a six-man rotation in this game. No, Pretty much no Kadari in this one. He, He only was slotted in for six minutes, and again, 
I can't really complain about that when Syracuse had a big lead for most of the game and, and Gerard was bringing you a lot on offense, both from a scoring standpoint and a playmaking standpoint with his assists. So I'm thinking, what is this rotation going to look like moving forward if Braswell is going to be a significant contributor? I, I think when Sidibe comes back, is, is Jim going to stretch this out to eight? Because I'm starting to think back. This is probably going to go back to maybe it'll be eight, but the minute split between Kadari and Joe is probably going to be one of those things where it depends on how Joe's playing early on. And yeah. this might have been enough to, I won't say phase Woody Newton out of the, the rotation, but probably only seeing minutes now if it's a, a foul, if there's some sort of foul trouble or, or situation like that. Yeah, I'm operating on the assumption that Braswell is going to be the guy, and I don't think there's really going to be any games where we see Braswell and Woody on the court. And in terms of the rotation... There's really no need to either. Yeah. Unless there's some major foul trouble or an injury or something like that, there's no reason to. Yeah, and just the way that Jim talked about Woody after the game, he was asked about him, he said he's added 10 pounds, he needs to add 15 more, and he was like, I've been talking to Woody, and I said... This is a free year. Remember that. It's like you're not even here this year. So just soak up all you can. The way he's talking, it's it's different from Braswell. And Braswell's been here now for three years. But it's it's been great to see him give you as much as he has defensively, just given his history. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about I just didn't really see where he fit into the equation, given how Woody was playing, given that Benny Williams is coming in next year. All those things. It's, it's awesome that after a lot of hard work, presumably, and also just the fact that he's dealt with some injuries, like I know the knees are still bothering him, and that has probably hindered his overall performance to this point in his career. All right, quick break to tell you guys about the best tasting protein bar on the market. You know it, it's Built Bar. The new and improved Built Bar 2 is even better because guess what? They're pumping out new flavors left and right, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia. The list goes on and on, and that's on top of the 12 already amazing flavors that they have in their inventory. It's almost like when the ACC added Syracuse. They had your classics like Duke, UNC, all those great teams, and now you're adding in a Syracuse, a Louisville, all that other stuff. That's what Built Bar is. They're just adding to an already great thing. The bars are 100% covered in chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, and if you're trying to maintain weight, gain weight, whatever it is, you can eat Built Bars because they are a delicious treat and they're perfect for any health-conscious person. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, and high-protein. Just take the peanut butter brownie, for example. 19 grams of protein packed into that bar. So if it's the best way to reward yourself for a workout is by topping it off with a great-tasting Built Bar because it's a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. And right now, go to BuiltBar.com and you can use our promo code LOCKEDON and you will get 20% off your next order. Again, BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. On the note of Kadari, I really was fine with him playing six minutes, which is going to rub some people the wrong way. Maybe he could have played a little bit more, but I understand kind of why Beheim did it. Because when he came in the game, 
that's when Georgetown played their best. Like, it was pretty noticeable that Syracuse struggled to get things going offensively. And the tough part is, so much of what they're doing offensively and so much of their actions this year are designed to free up a three-point shooter or to get a guard in a pick-and-roll type setting. And Kadari's just not that great of a shooter at this stage of his career right now, and teams have kind of learned that, so it's tougher for him to drive of late. I'm I'm with you. I had no problems with the the minutes distribution really for for the entire game. I I, I really didn't. And you look at the again, it's going to be one of those things that's all situational with the Kadari and Joe split. There really wasn't much of a reason to pull Joe Girard out of this game because to me, I look at this game. Joe Girard played one of his best games of his Syracuse career. He went out yeah. there and played like a point guard. He was facilitating, and I mean, there were even some plays he only had, or well, I shouldn't say only. He had eight assists in this game. Yeah. Probably could have had a couple more. And I think one of the underrated things about Gerard when he assists in, in these games is that it feels like, remember how we used to watch Trey Young, okay? And when Trey Young led the, led the country in assists a couple years ago, we always said to ourselves, wow, he's doing amazing an amazing job at facilitating, but he could have way more assists if his teammates just make the basket. I feel like Joe Gerard sets his teammates up in perfect positions and to almost to the point where they cannot miss the basket. And that's why yeah. I feel like he's having a lot of success facilitating is because he does make some impressive passes. And the fact that he has eight assists in this game, he had the one where he bounced it to Marek. It was a crafty pass. He bounces to Marek late in the shot clock. The only problem was Marek couldn't get it off in time, but he had a yeah. clean look, wide open. And I think that's one of the impressive things is his teammates almost can't miss because of how well he is setting some of them up. I'm glad you brought that play up, actually, because I wanted to bring up that play. And if I'm remembering correctly, he kind of got maybe it was Wahab. It was a big man that sort of came up to guard him because it was late. He got doubled. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He got him in the air, though. And sometimes I just want him to, like, lean in. And you're such a good foul shooter. Do that Paul Pierce move where you draw the James Harden, whatever, where you draw contact. My least and, favorite like, move in basketball. But <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's. Yeah, it's a crappy when it's move. On your but team, like, you, you, you allow it. Yeah, it's effective. And honestly, for such a jump shooting team and such a team that is so reliant on the three and Jim's talked a lot about this year, how they are guarding them really tight on the perimeter and they're playing them to shoot. And that's opened up driving lanes. The other thing it opens up, use the pump fake a little bit more, whether it's Bayheim, Gerard Griffin, I think they, I haven't really seen them pump fake and drive by and, and they're just not great drivers on this team and they're not great finishers. And when I went into that thing earlier about how it's a jump shooting team, and that's hurt them more than most just because of the COVID pause impacts jump shooting probably more than anything. It also, you know, you have to acknowledge that it kind of exposes that this isn't a very complete team because if they were a complete team, they'd probably understand that they're not in rhythm jump shooting and just go to scoring down low more and driving more. And they just really don't have that in their game as a team. And that's probably not going to happen at any point in this season. I think we saw them kind of do that early off yeah. the first pause but it was because of Quincy and Quincy was having a super effective games even Marek was having some some solid scoring games and right now Quincy I mean wasn't a very efficient night for him but we've seen him now get his foot in some foul trouble the last two and I think it definitely swayed the outcome of the last game and it could have potentially swayed the outcome of this game and if you're playing with a, a Quincy Garrier who's trying to think through, okay, I got to provide on offense, but I also have to go 
and make sure I'm not falling on the other end. If you start to make some of these guys think a little too much, that's where you're going to run into some trouble. And I think with Quincy, he's going to have to stay out of some foul trouble. And I think with Barama hopefully back, I think that's also something that was kind of noteworthy is that Barama did not play once again in this game. But with Barama hopefully back in the near future, that maybe takes away some of the fouls. Maybe he gives one or two of those off to, to Barama, and we know that he can be a magnet towards those fouls. But if, if that happens, that'll allow him to play a little more free and will allow Syracuse's interior, I think, to be a lot more successful. And they won't have to rely as much on the jump shot. One interesting quote from Beheim when he was asked, I don't even think he was asked about Barama. I think he kind of went into it on his own in sort of his introductory pre-question statement. He talked about how they'll hope to have Barama, but he also said he practiced for five days and looked great, and then he just sort of wasn't ready to go after that. And I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it just sort of worries me given his history, and it seems like it is knee-related, and he's had some knee problems, and I just feel like it's more of a soreness thing that might be lingering as the season goes along when I hear stuff like that, because the way Beheim's talking about it, it's not like, yeah, like, he just need a couple more days off, we'll have him Tuesday. He kind of went out of his way to say a couple times, we just don't know. Like, it's kind of up to him and how he's feeling that day. And, th- and that does sort of concern me. I guess it's to be expected because that's kind of been a thing with him in his career. But, yeah, they really need him for UNC. Here's the way I interpret that they can statement. Rebound. I find it to be more of a, a conditioning thing because when, when you're coming back from an injury, especially a, a major one like that in the knees where you're not doing a lot of running, I think it's more of a conditioning thing and, and you're going to feel the effects of that. You're going to feel a soreness to you those first couple of practices back. And I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a lingering thing. I'm wondering if once he's in better condition, he's not going to feel the effects of that soreness. Yeah. And maybe maybe he could have played in this game. But maybe Bayheim and the staff kind of looked at it as, okay, it's a non-conference game in the middle of our, our conference schedule. We think we can probably beat Georgetown without him. So let's give him one more game off. And then you throw him out there against Carolina and he's fully healthy. He's not feeling the soreness of playing in a full game. And then we can bolster our front court in a, in a game that means a lot more. I I know some fans might say, oh, well, we value the Georgetown game more than the UNC game. I don't think that's how the coaching staff looks at this anymore. I think they look at this as Carolina is the much more important game. You have to pick up wins in your league play, and I'd rather have a fully healthy. Because, again, it's kind of a quick turnaround here going from Saturday to uh, traveling on the road to Tuesday. So you might want to think of it from that lens, too, is that they would rather have a fully healthy Barama He's shaken off all the soreness, gotten all the lactic acid out of his system, and he's good to go in that UNC game as opposed to, okay, maybe he's feeling the after effects of this Georgetown game on a Tuesday. Exactly. Actually, that's why in the prop shop I predicted him not to play, which was just sort of a gut thing. But I I was thinking along those lines that, you know, if they don't play him against UNC, then that really is a telltale sign that things aren't quite there. Because UNC, Mm -hmm. they... This is like the opportunity to play him, and if he's 80%, I think you still put him out. Like It's one of those situations where you just need a body. And same goes for Frank Anselm. I hope he's ready for UNC, because I honestly could see Jim going to a Jesse Edwards or an Anselm for some spot minutes in that game, just because 
of UNC's makeup, and and maybe they'll kind of do the opposite and go small and try and force UNC to play small to them, kind of like Georgetown did. But you're right. Those are some good points because it just didn't make sense to bring them into a game Saturday night and then have them travel and play another game that you really, really need him for and kind of risk him being in worse shape for that game or maybe just like a setback and can't go for that game if it if he played in Georgetown and wasn't 100%. So I hope that we get to see him Tuesday. I would expect that we will see him because that's the type of game where might they're be not going to hold limit, him out. Though. Yeah. yeah. You might right. see him um, maybe only rolled out there for 17 to 20 minutes. He probably won't start, like, regardless of how... I, I don't see them switching up the starting lineup on kind of short notice. I feel like they will want more of practice time with him and everything. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm off there, but we'll, we'll see yeah, how Yeah, I mean, he's he is used. a veteran. He's obviously yeah. played... I, I'm, I'm just eyeballing this right now, but I'd imagine he's played more games. Uh, I guess uh, Marek is maybe right there neck and neck with him for most games played at Syracuse. But I don't know if the... To me, obviously, I don't I don't value the the starting thing as a a major right like role thing. But it, I could see him starting. He's probably going to be the first one to get the hook, and, and that's not uh, a skill thing. That is a a strictly conditioning and and uh, return from injury level concept there, as opposed to yeah. the, his level of play. I just want to bring a couple things on Kadari before we kind of wrap up here, because I know that's a huge talking point amongst fans right now and i it was really picking up some steam that oh he we might just mishandle another guy and he'll transfer out and Bayheim's at it again all that stuff i just like to i mean it's only been one game where he played six minutes the other thing was he was on the bike basically the entire game according to some reports like maybe he was working out something or he just wasn't there conditioning wise and he's a freshman like freshmen don't historically play a ton at syracuse i know brandon trish and Malachi might be the exceptions. Tyus Battle played a lot, but go look at like Michael Carter Williams. He played what a handful of minutes his freshman year and averaged like right. three points a game. Maybe like it's this is true for a lot of elite programs, and maybe Syracuse isn't quite what it used to be. And you could counter with that, and that they need a guy like Kadari to play more because Michael Carter Williams was going up against a more talented roster when he first got to Syracuse as a freshman. But I don't think that. I just don't think it's right to say like, oh, he might transfer out and Bayheim's mishandling this guy because it's one game and he was on the bike. And honestly, Joe, that was a great matchup for him. He was able to get to his spots. He was able to get like guys like Wahab in the pick and roll and execute with jump shots, whereas Kadari's game is getting to the basket. And the one time he did get to the basket, he was swatted by, I think it was their backup center, not Wahab, but whatever. It, the point holds that they had some height and some shot blockers, and that's more Kadari's thing. I agree with that, and the only thing that I could maybe push back a little bit on the the transfer thing, and, and again, I don't think Kadari's going to transfer, but the difference between Jalen Carey and Bryson Goodine and all those guys that we have seen leave the program these past couple of seasons, Jim Beheim didn't pump their tires like he pumped Kadari Richmond's in the preseason. Yeah, and I think that is the one major difference. But I'm with you again. What has been the one critique? of Kadari Richmond is that he has looked very tired in some of these games. And when you're stop and start, stop and start with the, the COVID pauses to me, that is a, that is a cause for concern somewhat. And maybe you don't deserve that. Okay. You can play more than six minutes probably, but when Gerard's playing the way he's playing, 
there really isn't a, a whole lot to warrant much more than than 10 minutes out there if he is playing that level. And I think you're right. The matchup certainly favored Gerard because they weren't playing physical with him. We see teams that play physical with Gerard and cause a yeah. lot of problems for him. Now, UNC, they might also play off on him a little bit more. They're more of an interior physicality presence as opposed to on the perimeter. So we'll see how that shakes out on Tuesday. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll be our topic on tomorrow's podcast. We're going to get you ready for the UNC game. That'll be dropped into your podcast feeds in the morning on Tuesday. So subscribe if you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoyed this podcast in general, subscribe and you'll get every episode into your preferred podcast feed in the morning. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. We're always tweeting out SU news, recruiting updates, anything that we can get our hands on or anything noteworthy. And then also we tweet out during the game. So join us. Give us your thoughts during the game. Those are always appreciated. But we will be back on the show tomorrow. For Tyler, I'm Tim. We'll talk to you guys then. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 